Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is leadership coach Chuck Weisner, who has spent 25 years as a trusted advisor to senior leaders and their teams in high-profile companies, including Google, Ford, Tesla, Toyota, General Motors, and Chrysler Motor Company. In today's episode, we talk about his book, The Art of Conscious Conversations, Transforming How We Talk, Listen, and Interact, which gives you practical tools for navigating any conversation humbly, compassionately, and effectively for better conversations and better relationships. Welcome to Lifeology. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm excited about this. When I was reading your information there, uh, it seems like you've worked with a lot of car dealerships, or not dealerships, but car manufacturers. <laughs> How did you get connected with all of them? Well, when I, ch I changed careers uh, at a young age of 40, I was an architect in Boston. And, oh. and if that's a long, that's a story in itself. But when I changed careers, I connected with Peter Senge and Fred Kaufman at an MIT uh, transformational learning program that multiple companies in the U.S. were a part of. And Chrysler and GM were part of that. So I sort of cut my teeth early on 30 years ago with that. And that gave me some connections in those worlds. Wow. What, what have you noticed that's maybe specifically different in that industry than other indus industries? Maybe different uh, in the same. Stress. Stress. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they move really fast. And I think what yeah. most people don't realize is it's so it's so complicated to build a car with all the safety yeah. restrictions and all i mean it's just really complex uh, sometimes i think it's either i'm working with some folks now at ford and sometimes i think it's harder to to create a, a, a really great vehicle than it is to ship a rocket to the moon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's funny. I mean, that's a really good point as far as, you know, the whole assembly line aspect from Ford when the, when it was first created, but yeah, all the nuances, every little nut and bolt. I mean, all that has yeah. to be regulated in such a way. I, I can't even imagine how, compl how complex that would yeah. be. And then there's the, you know, the design, the engineers, the production people. I mean, that, that whole thing, uh, it can get pretty messy. So, and, and every, every decision matters money-wise. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And, and I'm sure many different organizations or industries rather are 
really complex as well, but I hadn't really thought about it to what we're to the level that we're discussing this in, as far as every little piece, but then also there's the, the business aspect, there's the safety aspect, there's the um, economical aspect, there's the look aspect. I mean, there's so many yeah. different things that have to be uh, really analyzed to create a healthy, productive, <laughs> quality product. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and early on when I was working at, with GM uh, many, many years ago, it, it really was a problem of getting those different groups, those different functions to work together. And okay. not to be so, not to be so siloed and say, uh -huh. you know, engineering or design wanted something, but then the or design wanted something, the engineer said no, we can't do it, or someone the finance said no, it's too expensive, and you know, instead of yeah. shooting darts at each other, how do they work together? Yeah, I remember my um, so my two of my uncles uh, were foremen at at the GM plant. Um, up in Michigan. And so they were telling me how, just a little bit when I was a kid, they would talk about it. Uh, but yeah, I was hearing all the different aspects of the changes that were made. And these were guys who grew up in, in the industry, they didn't go to school for, it, and then all of a sudden they get these young whippersnappers that they would come in with their, you know, their degree and try and tell them what to do. And it was such an interesting yeah. dichotomy between the people who have done it for years. And of course the people who they have the quote scholarship or scholarly aspect, but not really the practical aspect. So I'm sure as well. I mean, I'm sure with your with the, what we're going to talk about in a minute, the art of conversations. I'm sure that's an element there that has to be really finagled and really be massaged in a healthy way to be able to get all sides to work together in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, and it's not dissimilar to architecture, where you know I was trained mm -hmm. as an architect and practiced in Boston for many years, and then you're working with contractors that they use their hands. They know how things come together. Mm -hmm. Sure, and the ideal is for those things to to integrate and get the best solution, but often it's 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 not integrated. A lot, of, a lot of battles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, let's transition into your book, The Art of Conscious Conversations: yeah. Transforming How We Talk, Listen, and Interact. With everything that you were doing, what's how did you even come up with the concept of this book? So, over the last uh, 20, 20 years ago, uh, I. I started having my own, I had my own business and I was working with clients in multiple uh, areas. And often people would say, you know, the things I'm learning, the things we're doing together, the things I'm doing to change my life, where's a book I can read? Ah. And it, it stuck with me because a lot of the things I studied, the ontology of language, which, which sounds all high fluting, but some of this stuff is really esoteric and hard uh -huh. to read. Linguists like Searle and Austin, they're great, mm -hmm. but they're hard to read. They're, you know, Very most read. people would, would read 10 pages and go, I've had enough. Um, <laughs> so, and it's good stuff, but it's not accessible. And then other parts of what I was doing was, was in a book, but it was a part. And I thought, how can I bring all these things together and make it practical and usable for people to understand conversations in a new way? Because mm -hmm. if you understand them in a new way, you can engage in them with in them in a new way. Oh, certainly, certainly. And so the idea of the book was, and the reason it ended up being four types of conversations, that became a structure that organized all these different ways of thinking about conversations and all the different tools that we can that we can use. Now, when it comes to conversations in general, is is that be from anyone from a, a toddler to a parent, uh, from colleagues? Is it, is that really the con concepts we're looking at as far as any type of conversation between two individuals? Yeah. The, the book has a lot of examples for business, but it has a lot sure. of home examples, non, non-business examples. Um, yeah, the common, the common factor is 
us human beings <laughs> in conversation and and uh, no matter what domain, we we are the common denominator. We're bringing into conversations our prejudices, our biases, our judgments, and all what I, I like to use the word the patterns, the conversational patterns we have. Okay. Because so. in a lot, a lot of many most instances, we did not choose those patterns. We adopted them uh, from okay. our family. We adopted okay. them from our culture, our education. And so I like using words pattern because it takes some of the judgment out of. Because mm -hmm. if I can say, oh, I have a pattern where when, when people say this to me, my reaction is X. And mm. if I really get down on myself on that reaction versus go, wow, that's interesting pattern. Where in the heck did that come from? Yeah. You know, and then I can take it apart a little bit and go, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, I got that from my dad. You know? yeah. Dang. Well, <laughs> a lot of times people don't realize this, but oh, habits actually are created as little as 66 times on average to create a habit. So if I'm interacting with someone over and over and all of a sudden I'm doing, creating the same dynamic, well, then all of a sudden that's going to be who I am. It becomes what I, I embody if I'm more sarcastic with somebody and all of a sudden I'm going to be sarcastic and that's going to trickle over to other people, which will then influence them as well. And then all of a sudden my sphere is going to be a lot more, a lot more sarcastic or vice versa. I'm influenced by something right. else. You know, if someone's more humorous, then I'm going to be more humorous. And so it's so interesting because I don't think people realize how much influence we have in a conversation, either which through our voice yeah. or through our nonverbals, but there's a lot of power there that a lot of people just don't realize is always present. That's right. Yeah. And there's also the notion of, of we, our bodies don't lie. So we often have mm -hmm. a big private conversation, you know, that's <laughs> internal and we think we're disguising it, but our eyes or our tense, tense body or our body language is broad broadcasting that this, I'm thinking this guy is full of shit. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always like, in, psych in psychology, we kind of talk about the kind of the iceberg effect. You know, what you see in an iceberg is really only 10% of really what's going on or really what, what's happening in the iceberg. So if I come to a conversation with 100% of who I am, really only 10% is that didactic or that, that conversation between two people. The rest of it is right. going to be what I see maybe is, is, um, as patterns maybe I've had with you before or things I'm like, ah, oh, this person, he's done this before. This probably is going to happen next. So there's that. And yeah. then the really, really based foundational piece is our own family systems of how we grew up that influences, just like you said, that creates that pattern. So what I'm presenting is just a 10%. Then this is the patterns I've seen in a conversation. And then the influence is going to be that bigger foundation of how I and do interact or respond with that. So some, a lot of those overreactions are going to be really from the foundational pieces of my core what I was taught yeah. as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, th that's totally necessary because that's how we survive mm -hmm. in the world. And that's yeah. how we, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, make sense of the world. But what one thing I talk about in the book is when we have a pattern that's not serving us well, that's mm -hmm. either keeping us from, you know, doing what we could be doing, keeping us from finding uh, happiness or keeping us from being successful, then that pattern is, it's really worth exploring it. Yeah. Um, and, and because we can, un, we can undo the one, the one example in my book is I grew up with a grandfather telling me I wasn't a big enough man mm. uh, because I didn't like yeah. to skin the deer and I didn't like to do this. Mm. And I didn't, and, and my sisters cried, but when I cried, I wasn't a big enough man. And he, I was a kid. I heard those words, but those words went in. And they stuck. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't until 20 years later or 25 years later that I go, wait a minute, that story is not true. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. 
that I was yeah. able to, what I call, I was able to bust that story. But, yes. you know, it, it, it takes some work and it takes some uh, self-reflection. It certainly does. And I think that's a thing where often we don't realize how much something can influence us. And so it's like for you, you were able to realize 20 years later, like, wait a minute, something's wrong there. And I think that's one of the most important things is if we have that moment to catch whatever the self-talk is in the moment, like what we're telling ourselves and say, wait, is that true? What are the facts that actually prove that what I'm thinking is true? And if there aren't any facts, well, then more than likely it's not true. So I'm really glad to hear that you were able to do that. I'm sure a lot of people listening were like, oh, maybe I should analyze some of those thoughts that I have as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's very helpful. Um, and that the book has is organized around four types of conversations, storytelling, uh-huh. collaboration, creativity, and commitment conversations. And the storytelling is primary, and that's the beginning of the book, because uh-huh. unless we are willing to look at our own what we bring to a conversation, whether it's our beliefs and our prejudices mm-hmm. or our energy or our you know, psychology or our psyche, if we aren't willing to look at what we're bringing, the chances of changing and learning to collaborate or better create with other people is really minimized. Um, so with the storytelling aspect of it, that is just my world of how I see myself. What is it? People, many people have said that I like each person is the, um, is the star in their own movie, <laughs> their own world movie. So for me, the storytelling <laughs> aspect, how I would see that is, so James is the, the main character in the quote movie of his life. And so I'm the director, if you will. So everything comes through my, the scope of my, the lens of who I am. And so I've right. seen, this is how the world is. This is how this person is, et cetera, based on my own belief system. Is that what you're basically saying for the storytelling aspect of conversation? Yes, a little broader in that we have stories mm-hmm. about ourselves and uh-huh. we have stories about the world mm-hmm. or other people or events, mm-hmm. right? And so stories, things that happen, events that happen that trigger us are, we might have a story about that, but there's also, if we if we look carefully, that belongs to us because there's an internal story about why mm-hmm. I'm reacting the way I'm doing or why I'm Certainly. interpreting it, right? Certainly. And the shortcut I do in the book to help people sort of untangle this, because it gets pretty messy up here um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and loud sometimes, right? So I, I, I say there's four arch- archetypal components or questions that can help us. If we have a really strong judgment that's not uh, serving us well or is really hard on other people or a loved one, there's four archetypal components we can always look at. What's the desire underneath your opinion? What do you, what what do you really want? Because desires are wonderful. They can, we can make goals, but they're often, we have desires that are unrealistic that don't match reality, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. And and so that's, that's a one piece of it. The second piece is every time we have an opinion, that's a strong opinion that we're grabbing onto. We have a concern about tomorrow. We have a future based concern. Like I don't want this to happen again, or, Will mm-hmm. next week look diff- worse than this week? You know, and, and unpacking that—that's easy to get at, but we often don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, the third one is authority issues. So every conversation, mm-hmm. whether it's with parents and children, uh, boss and 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 direct report, you and I—I I mean, there's authority issues. Like whose voice do we give power to? Yeah. 
Sure. And that even with our friends, one friend might say, oh, Chuck, you look great in that blue shirt. Another friend say, why would you wear that shirt on a podcast? You know, <laughs> and maybe one maybe one one of those people I'd sort of brush off and say, oh, I don't give his voice yeah. much power. But yeah. the other person like, oh, maybe he's right about that. Maybe she's right about that. Mm. So authority is in every interaction we have. Mm -hmm. And it's but it's awfully under an underbelly that we don't think about consciously. Yeah. And then the last one, I love the last one, it's standards. Like every okay. judgment we have is based on standards that we most likely didn't consciously choose. That would, would that be more from our families of origin? Our family of origin, our education, our culture, right? Okay. What, what, what is a good, sometimes I work with groups of women and, and mm -hmm. often I'll ask, um, I haven't done this for a while since the Me Too movement, but sometimes mm -hmm. I'll ask, like, how many people, women in this room, when you leave the house in the morning, if the beds aren't made, you feel bad. You're a bad mom. Mm. And usually 75% of the room, 75% mm -hmm. of the hands go up in the room. And it's no judgment on our part. I'm just saying, that's interesting. So where yeah. did you adopt that? Was that your mother? Was that your auntie? Was that your grandmother? Um, yeah. And standards are everywhere. I mean, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, our morals. And so <laughs> it's just taking a look at them more consciously is really helpful. Because sometimes yes. an argument can be diffused just by saying, oh, I see, you're looking at it from this angle. You think this is what really? we should be doing. And I'm looking at it from this angle. That's a different conversation than, than fighting about the issue. Correct. Correct. In psychology, there's a... a there's a famous develop, uh, theorist, his name is, or psychologist, named um, uh, Kohlberg. So Kohlberg has theories of morality. And so Kohl, what that basically means is from the age of um, inception into nine years old is really where we learn right from wrong. Um, that's where we get a lot of our political beliefs, a lot of our religious beliefs. And so that's something where we are taught something based from our family system. So you can maybe look at people in the U.S. who are maybe in rural um, rural America, and then you have maybe people that are more in the metropolitan area. and they they're both American, but all of a sudden their morality and things are going to be slightly different. And that's, I think, where you're right. really talking about the standards is up to nine years old and maybe a little bit older, depends on, on how the influence that the family has. But that's what really teaches them. So that's where I'm sure you'll find a lot of people who would have some of those um, beliefs, because if, if their family is more the traditional aspect of maybe perhaps the, the mother staying home, et cetera. Yeah. Then they're going to see that. Yeah. If I'm not leading up to being the best version of that, then all of a sudden there may be something wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, and and back to my story about a big enough man, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't have to blame my grandfather. He was he was he was talking about his standard of what it means to be a man. A man should be yeah, able to do this. Exactly. A man shouldn't cry. A man should do this. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, when, when I became an adult, I said, "Wait a minute, I don't have the same standard here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, which is good. <laughs> freedom, <funny>. freedom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We are flying through this interview. We only have about six more minutes. Well, let's jump into the second one. Because okay. as you know, there are four of them. And it, once we wrap up yep. this, this interview, then we'll definitely give all the information where they can find the book. But let's jump into okay. the second version of the conversation. So the, the second one is coll the collaborative conversation. And as a musician, one, you know, one of my favorite analogies is playing jazz music as a drummer or a pianist, you know, mm. because that really isn't about being a soloist. It's about really listening to everybody and getting yeah. getting things, you know, coordinated and and co connected. So the collaborative conversation is really about the art of advocacy and inquiry. How do we advocate okay. our position? 
and how do we inquire into other people's positions? Unfortunately, we are not trained to be good advocates and we are not trained to be good qu at, uh, question uh, makers askers, or askers, right? Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and so often, if we go back to storytelling, if I go into a meeting or I go into a, 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 a conversation with friends or business, often we enter with our position like a closed fist. Okay. And right. And if I come into that meeting, you come into that meeting, another person comes into that meeting. Now we're all there. Well, here's what I should, here's what we should do. Here's what we should do. Authority comes in because then the person with the most stripes might say what they think mm -hmm. and that shuts down the conversation. So that notion of our inability to advocate well and to inquire well is really the key to making a successful collaboration mm -hmm. conversation. And the analogy I like is, is there's a fist, but if I'm humble enough or vulnerable enough to say, here's my thinking under my position, here are my concerns, here's what my goal, my, here's what my desires are. By the way, I know I'm not the boss, but I have an opinion, authority issues, right? Mm -hmm, and yeah. here are the standards. Here's how I'm measuring what success looks like. If I can open my hand and reveal my thinking, it actually invites other people to do that because, sure. you know, vulnerability is somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat uh, uh, contagious. Mm -hmm. um, so the collaborative conversation is really about open, what I call open advocacy and open inquiry. And the inquiry piece is tough because we are not trained to ask good questions. We're yeah. trained to ask questions that prove our point and prove the other person wrong. Just prove right? it, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, certainly. So that's, well, it's that dance. Yes. And, and I like how you're differentiating between the what I come to with a meeting or with a closed fist uh, versus that collaborative aspect of how can we work as a team? Because in, in a collective state, there's so much more growth that can come from it because there's, there's more, uh, the more minds, if you will, that can come together and create a, a wonderful response or wonderful an answer, as opposed to the everyone's so adversarial, because as we know, that's, that's not effective at all. Right. Right. And, 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 um, I've worked with many leaders that aren't aware of the power of their voice. Like they mm -hmm. have an opinion about something, a strong opinion. And as soon as they say that the other people defer, and what uh, happens is in the leadership, yeah. yeah, it shuts things down. Then what happens is that leader is not getting the benefit of other perspectives. Yeah. I interviewed Mitzi Perdue, who is the, uh, the wife of the late Frank Perdue, the, the chicken guy. And she was telling me yeah. about one thing that Frank would always do is he would allow everyone in, the, in the, his meetings to be able to say whatever they want. I guess he and now I guess the CEO... Uh, it wasn't CEO at the time before Frank passed, but they would get in these shouting matches and just be so angry in the boardroom. But then once it was done, they would laugh and, you know, laugh about this and, and go on. But Frank's voice was so, he allowed his voice not to be so loud that everyone did what he said. And so I think it was a really good yes. culture in that, in that Purdue system as far as how to be able to have your voice and know that there's no quote consequences for that. And that's where I think why, one reason why uh, the Purdue did so well as well. That, that, that's a great example. Yeah. Because just the leader often has to give people permission to feel safe. Like, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just my opinion, but I need to hear from you or don't tell your opinion until you hear from other people. Right. So yeah, there, it's a dance there that you have to be aware of. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it also so, is, is right. if you are a leader, it's important to know that if you, is this an actual meeting or is this more like a, 
you're just coming in to tell tell what you want them to do. So I think the motivation for how, what the type of meeting it is, if it's a collaboration or collaborative aspect like we're talking about, or if it's a person just coming trickling down like this is what we're going to do, there's a huge difference I think with that as well. Yeah, yeah, and to that point, um, the. the the storytelling conversation, the collaborative, the next one is creative. And then the last one is commitment, which is making decisions. How, what are we going to agree mm. to do? Right. What's, what's interesting is I've noticed, and I call it the conversational bypass where we love telling our stories. The leader might tell their story, might voice their opinion, right? A few things get, you know, talked about. And then someone in the room or the leader says, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and they skip right to yeah. the commitment conversation. What, what action are we going to take? And the two conversations that are the juiciest, collaboration mm -hmm. and creativity, get totally bypassed. Oh, that's I really I really appreciate how you broke that down because it, it it's logical. It makes sense with what you're saying. Yeah, it's. I think that's really, really well done. In the book here, and we'll have to wrap up in a second, but in the book here, yeah. are there specific uh, – I sound like you have examples, but are there um, – are there techniques as well for how people to be collaborative and how to be creative in those conversations? Yep. too? Yeah. So each chapter, well, the, the four conversations are four parts of the book. And then okay. there are three or four chapters of each part. And at the end of each chapter, I had practices. Excellent. Okay. Well, wonderful. Right. Well, right. I look forward to helping promote this as well. Uh, Chuck Weiser, if my viewers and listeners want to find a more here. Let me say that again, Chuck, Chuck Weiser. <laughs> if my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and to purchase your book, The Art of Conscious Conversations, Transforming How We Talk, Listen, and Interact, where will they find all this information online? So my website is chuckwisner.com. And uh, I have, I'm on LinkedIn, Chuck underscore Wisner. I'm on Instagram. I try to post uh, helpful things on Instagram, Chuck underscore Wisner, uh, and also Facebook. Um, awesome. if okay. you go to, if you go to my website, uh, you can sign up to get a, f a free PDF of the introduction. Oh, perfect. Okay. My viewers and listeners also know that if I can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerifology.com and I'll connect you with Chuck Wisner and the art of conscious conversation, transforming how we talk, listen, and interact. Thank you so much for being a great guest today. Thank you very much. I also want to thank you, my listener for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.